Good morning, everyone. My name is Nathaniel. I am the missional communities guy here at Storehouse Community Church, and I am glad that you are with us. Uh, I want to welcome everyone, uh, especially those who maybe this is your first time or first time in a long time. Uh, I am grateful that you chose to be with us this morning. You didn't have to be, and so, and so thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, we are continuing our series in Colossians uh, this morning. Last week, we had talked about how we can find redemption and grace, and that is found in a relationship with God. And so before I forget, because I did, uh, those kids who are toddlers through elementary, y'all can go upstairs. Uh, we have kids today. And so toddlers through elementary, uh, you can go over here to Gabe, and he will take you upstairs. As you guys do that, we're going to get into um, today's passage. And so last week, we, we talked about a new identity that God puts in us, right? A new identity that is formed, where God says you are a child of God. You are actually adopted into his family. And with that, adoption comes a new identity. See, once we are enslaved by sin, but now we're free in Christ. Sin has been overcome, it's defeated, no longer master over you, over your heart, your mind, your body, your soul. And so we saw last week at the beginning of chapter three in Colossians that Paul lists all these sins and all these areas of our life where sin does not control us anymore. These things have no power over you as a believer. And so now we're in the latter half of Colossians chapter three and Paul says, what comes next? Now that you have a new identity and that you are set free from sin, what is next? What is after that? We now are transformed, redeemed, regenerated. The Holy Spirit's in us and says you're different now, but how does that manifest? See, we are no longer defined by sin. We are defined as a child of God. And that identity comes with definable and serious repercussions throughout our life. There's evidence, there's fruit in our life because of this identity within us. Paul very clearly gives us a, a bunch of different virtues that are a condition of this new identity. Things that are gonna happen if you truly follow Christ. He lists things that make us different. And these things can be summed up within two broad categories, love and thanksgiving. The ability to love and the ability to be grateful. And so our main idea today, the thing I want you to take away is that an identity rooted in Jesus Christ produces love and thanksgiving. Not that it may produce love and thanksgiving. Not that it may come at some point in the future or I'm just working on it. No, an identity in Jesus Christ will produce love and thanksgiving within your life. And now, this is a challenge to us to examine our hearts, examine our life, and to be able to recognize, do we actually have love and thanksgiving? Sin is no longer my master, but do I love? Am I thankful? Or have I just left it alone? Because the way that Paul writes here in Colossians, this is not an option to love and to be grateful is not an option. It is 
a evidence of a new life in Jesus Christ. And it's vitally important because our actions have serious consequences. The way that we behave, the way that we interact with the world, people are watching. And they make judgment upon God with how his people behave. And so if we do not show love, if we are not grateful, if we do not show the other virtues that Paul says is the result of our love and and thankfulness, then people are going to think that God has nothing to do with those qualities. There's this uh, blogger online, an anti-Christian blogger, where she has devoted time, effort, and money into a website that the whole purpose is basically to say how much Christianity is wrong and, and at fault. And I want to read you a quote from one of her uh, posts. She said, Now, a Christian man who says he loves his wife still beats her because she doesn't do as, he's, as she's told. She forgives him for hurting her every time because that is what her religion tells her to do. The man beats her because the same religion tells him he has authority over her and he cannot help but to do a bad thing. So he does them thinking he can't help himself, but it's okay because his God will forgive him. That's a direct quote from this woman's website. Now, as I read this, many of you were probably like, well, that's not really right. And it's not. The, the theology is terribly inaccurate, right? But why does she believe this? Why does she believe this is true? Now, our reaction from something like this could be anger or indignation or frustration that, or, or even a feeling of persecution that people think this about Christians when it's just not true. And I, and I understand that. My first reaction was also a little bit of frustration. But that shouldn't be our first reaction. Our first reaction should be grief. That this woman believes this so much that she has devoted so much of her time, effort, and money into trying to spread this. Because she truly believes what she has written here. Why? It's because she's seen it. It's because she has seen people who claim to be Christians or possibly even Christians themselves act in a way that has nothing to do with goodness. Our actions, the way we behave and interact with people have severe consequences. So today I am going to ask you to hold a mirror up to yourself. As we go through this passage, look at yourself and evaluate your behavior, your actions, your thoughts. Are you like Paul says we should be? Or are you different? Is your identity rooted in Jesus Christ, or is your identity rooted in something else entirely? Because as Paul says, love and thanksgiving are going to be the evidence, the fruit of an identity in Christ. And so this is challenging, I get that. It it can be very convicting, and I hope you are convicted in, in different ways. But I also want to take a moment to point out that this is encouraging, We should get joy from this because Paul says that it is not something that God expects of us without helping at all. He's not just saying that, man, if you you truly want to be Christian, you truly want to be my child, you have to be like this. And if you're not, then I'm going to boot you out. 
No, he is saying that if you just come to him with repentance and submission to God, that he will make these things happen. And so even if we go through today and you see, man, I'm, I'm really lacking in this area or this area, or I'm just not like that, then my encouragement is that you can be. That not only is it a possibility, but it's a promise that God says he will transform you. And so, yeah, I hope you're convicted today, but I also hope you walk away encouraged and ready to take a step forward in your walk with Christ so that you may be someone that honors and glorifies your God every single day in all that you do. And so today we're going to be in Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. I'm actually going to read it again. Emma did a fantastic job, but scripture is important, and we got to make sure that we are continuously going back to it. That's why Emma read it. That's why I'm going to read it again, is so that we ingrain it within ourselves. And so, starting at verse 12, chapter 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in a perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you for who you are. Your very character speaks in to the way that we are able to be transformed because you are goodness. You are love. And so when we plant ourselves in your presence, when we commit ourselves to follow you, those virtues, those characteristics, they become a reality within us. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts today so that we can recognize those areas in which we have failed you, and we can rejoice that you are going to change it. In your holy name, amen. So our identity is going to produce fruit. That's kind of the whole idea here. Our identity is going to produce fruit. Marco did a fantastic job last week talking about how this identity completely changes us. And Paul was focused on the aspect of killing sin within our lives at the beginning of chapter 3. And now it's the good news. The good news that we have these virtues that are going to show up now. Not only is sin gone, but now we're becoming better people because God is good. God is love. It's not that God has these characteristics about him. God literally is good. Literally is love. 
every idea that we have of that concept comes from who God is. And so just like any relationship where there's going to be influence, when we enter into relationship with God, then he will influence us so that we take on more of his characteristics, more of his being, more of, we become more like him. Even just this morning, I heard uh, a funny story about some friends that were with Emma, and they walked away from just hanging out at her house, mimicking a few of her speech patterns. We all do this, right? We all have, like, friends that after we spend time with them, we begin to uh, mimic them in some ways, and they begin to mimic things that we do, small little things, habits. I know that my wife and I, when we first got married— we all, we had these, you know, individual little quirks that we do, and after, uh, after years and years of marriage, we are now beginning to do things more similar. We kind of get that rhythm. We kind of become more like each other. When you're in relationship, you're influenced by the other person. And see, a beautiful thing about God is that he is immutable, meaning that he does not change. We are mutable, so we do change. And so we can be confident that God is not going to be influenced by us, which is a really good thing because we're kind of messed up. But we will be influenced by God. And that's the only influence that goes in this relationship. And so there's encouragement there. There's joy that we will be changed by God. And we can recognize that this change doesn't happen by our own ability. It's not through us alone, but by the grace that is born from God's activity. See, God does things first, and as a result of the things that God does, we are going to be changed. And then we will see that our own activity is going to be able to blossom and flourish in a way that honors him. So what does God do that, that breeds this love and thanksgiving and gratefulness within us? Paul clearly tells us a list of things. God, uh, Paul says that God does these things, and so because of that, we are able to love. Because of that, we are able to be grateful. And so first, God chooses us. We are chosen. See, God is completely self-sufficient, meaning that he doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. God is completely self-sufficient and at peace and joy with himself. He chooses to pursue and be in relationship with us. It is a choice that he makes, not an obligation, not anything that he's being pushed to do for any kind of gain other than just love. So God chooses us. Number two, he makes us holy. He chooses us and he makes us holy saying that you're not going to be judged by the sin that you've committed. The evil that we do is not what defines us. He says that he chooses us and then he's going to put his righteousness within us. That is wonderful news. That we are not defined by our sin. Number three, that he loves us. Like I said, God is love and he cannot help but have an out pouring of himself upon us. And so he loves us in a way that we can't understand, in a way that we can't reciprocate. 
and yet he continuously does it anyway because he's not in it to get something out of this relationship. He just wants to ravish love upon you. Number four, he forgives us. God is goodness, which means that any evil, anything bad, is not only something that is not what he would do, but it is something that is completely against who he is. And so evil, sin, this, this repulses God. It disgusts him. And we have uh, minor experiences in this where, where there may be certain, you know, sins or behaviors that we are kind of disgusted by. I know one thing for me specifically that, man, it just really, uh, I get really upset and angry and disgusted by it is child abuse. We are fostering three kiddos and we have seen the ramifications of child abuse child abuse within our home. Like, we've seen what that looks like. And we've seen that it's not something that just happens and then it's over. It's, it's going to last for a long time within my children. When I hear of child abuse, I'm livid. I'm disgusted. God is disgusted by all sin. And in those moments when, when I hear about child abuse, I have a very hard time forgiving. I have a hard time being able to love that person. God, though, he sees all the evil that we do, all the sin that we do, and that disgusts him, and he still loves us and forgives us. The sin is repulsive, but he sees the person and he loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter what evil you may have done within your life, God loves you anyway, and he forgives you. That is something I cannot even comprehend because it's not within me to be able to do that. Yet we see in Scripture that God does. And so we can be encouraged by it. And it should lead us to a place where we want to serve this God. And lastly, he calls us. We are called to be something greater than we think we can be. God has made us to be something greater than we think we can be. And so because of these things, because of these five reasons, and those reasons alone, we are able to act in a loving and grateful way because of what God has done first. Now, sometimes at this point, too many Christians will get caught up on the, on the idea of salvation by grace alone through faith alone. Now, this is very true. We are saved by grace, by God's grace alone. There's nothing we can do. We cannot earn salvation. It is only through his grace by faith in Jesus Christ. That is 100% true. And our faith is completed by our works. It's not just because this one aspect is true that works just go away, that we shouldn't worry about them. No, our faith is completed by our works. James 2, 14 through 17, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And this is just one example. Scripture teaches us that we are saved by faith, by grace, by faith alone. Works do not save us. But if you have no works, then you don't have faith. So if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, true faith, saved by grace, then you must act in love and thanksgiving. It's not a maybe. It's not a, oh, I'll get to that. I'm in the process of sanctification. It's on my five-year plan. No, it is a requirement. Born out of the activity of God. We must not demean the transformative grace of the Holy Spirit within our lives. When we say, I just can't do that, it's too hard to love others, it's too hard to be thankful in the midst of all the things going on in my life, then we're really saying that it's too hard for God to do what he does. And remember, above all else, that this is possible because we are God's chosen. You have been made holy. You have been loved first and foremost by the Almighty. You're forgiven, you're redeemed, and you are called to activity. And so what does love and thanksgiving look like then? Biblically, what, is, what does love and thanksgiving actually look like? If we have our identity rooted in Christ, how should this actually look? And so we'll look at love first, and then we'll look at thanksgiving after that. Paul says here in chapter 3 that love is binding. That the virtues that he mentions in this passage, they're possible if you have love. If you're able to love, you will be these things. Without love, though, you can't have any of these things. And that's completely true. We are able to be kind and compassionate because we love the other person, right? Love is the, the binding factor. It is kind of the root cause of all these other virtues. And so let's look at this list. Let's look at the list that Paul gives us, hold it up to ourselves, and evaluate our hearts. And then we'll talk a little bit more about it. But first, are you compassionate? And by that, I don't mean have you done compassionate things? Or are you compassionate to your spouse or your kids alone? But are you actually compassionate? Is your character defined by compassion? Are you a kind person? Not do you show kindness every once in a while, if I've had enough coffee and I'm awake enough, but are you kind? Are you humble? Truly humble, to the point where if you ask someone, they'll say, yeah, you're humble. Are you humble? Are you meek? And a reminder that meekness in Scripture means that we deny ourselves for the sake of others. So you are saying, I'm going to put aside something I want just so somebody else may have joy. 
That's what meekness is. So are you meek? Do you deny your self-indulgence so that someone else may get what they want? And not just once or twice, but always. Are you patient? Are you an actually patient person? Are you supportive? Are you the person that people know if they come to you with something that you will set aside your time and your effort to just be there for them? Are you supportive? Are you a forgiving person? Are you able to forgive when people have sinned against you? Are you able to forgive even if that person never comes to you with repentance and asking for forgiveness? Are you forgiving? Are you peaceful? Or are you quarrelsome, argumentative? You like the fight? Are you pursuing unity and harmony? Are you a peaceful person? We look at these things and we can ask ourselves, are we these things? Are these things that define who we are, our character? The best way to figure this out is to ask others. Go to your spouse. They'll tell you. <laughs> are you these things? Go to friends, family, coworkers. These people know you and they will be able to tell you yeah, you are, are, well, maybe not a little bit. <laughs> the cool thing, though, here, well, maybe not cool, convicting. The convicting thing about this, though, is that it is not supposed to be just about us and our relationship with those who do know us. We're called to be this way with everyone, even those we haven't met, with strangers, one-time acquaintances, Luke 6:27 Jesus himself says but I say to you who hear love your enemies and do good to those who hate you to do good this is an action not a I'll just make sure I don't get in a situation where we're going to argue about this or I'm just going to you know kind of ignore that person or I'm not going to engage with this group of people that I disagree with no Jesus says do good to them that requires engagement. Are you able to engage with those that you disagree with? Are you able to engage with those that you have a problem with and still be kind and compassionate and meek toward those people? That's who we're called to be like this. It's easy, as Jesus says, to love your family, it is hard to love the stranger that is against everything you stand for. Loving others requires action. It requires activity. You can't just ignore. You can't just keep your distance. You have to interact. And so what makes this kind of love so difficult? Why is this so hard for us to do? we actually see a clue in 1 John to what could be holding us back from love. John reminds us throughout all of 1 John that God is love. 
that he is love, like we already talked about. And then God within us means that we also have the ability to love because of the influence that God has on us. And so we have a clue in 1 John for what is kind of pushing this love away from us so that we can't really interact in a loving way. So 1 John 4, 18 through 19, John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but who, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Again, John reminds us that it is through God's activity first that we're able to love, and then he says if we have fear controlling us that we will not be able to love. Fear is what pushes love away from us. Fear corrupts love keeps us from loving perfectly. And I don't know what your fear may be. Maybe it's a fear of that which is different or that which is unknown and that keeps you from being able to love well just because you're afraid of what the implications may be of something you're just not familiar with. Maybe it's a fear of losing control a fear that your life isn't going to go along the, the rails that you want it to. Maybe it's a fear of heartache, of pain, suffering. You've been hurt before and you understand what that feels like and you don't want to risk it again, so you're going to withhold love so that you don't have to make yourself vulnerable. Maybe it's a fear of being alone. I'm afraid that I'll never be able to engage in meaningful relationship with anyone, and so I just refuse to even try. My fear is driving love away from me. Maybe it's a fear of not being good enough. That even if I try my hardest and I try to love, it won't be enough, and I'm just going to let people down. Maybe it's a fear of compromising the truth. Maybe you're afraid that if you love a certain group of people or certain individuals that you disagree with, or maybe even those who stand against Christianity the most, like this blogger we talked about, maybe you're afraid that if you are able to love them well, that they will think that the lies that they believe are okay. You have a fear of compromising the truth, but yet it's still holding love back. Maybe it's a fear that God's actually not going to do what he says he will do. A fear that this whole story of Jesus on the cross, paying for my sin and saving me, is just not actually true. There are countless fears that we have and things that feed into the way that we interact with people because fear is going to keep us from being able to love and to love well. But John tells us that love casts out fear. And we love by trusting that the activity that God does is truth. We trust that God loves us, saves us, that he's redeemed us. We trust that he is sovereign. And so even if we get in those situations where we're afraid that maybe we're compromising the gospel by loving this person well, 
then we can trust that God's will will be done regardless. And so we should show love because we've been called to. We can have our fear pushed aside, cast away, because God's love is so great that it can wash through us. Like a cleansing flood, it will take the fear and push it away. It will wash it through us and leave us free from fear. So that only perfect love remains. This is what John is telling us, and this is what I want for myself. I want to be able to say that the fears within me do not have control over me. Love, like God's love, is not going to be something that just fizzles away. It's not going to be something that just just stops. His love is, is an all-consuming fire. And his love is what's going to lead us to be able to love ourselves, love others, and love God in a way that we've never experienced before. And that love is going to lead us to thanksgiving, to being grateful. Because our ability to be grateful is because we remember, understand, and trust that God's activity is true. If we truly believe that God has done what he says he has done in Scripture, then we cannot help but be grateful, which will lead us to being able to love well. So if you wanted to know what to do to be able to love, like we just talked about, if you want to know what to do, you need to be thankful for what God has done. And this has had a, a very powerful uh, influence on my own life within this past year. Uh, at the end of 2020, we had just a lot going on, Right? A lot of stuff going on with foster care and, and with the kids, being parents for, I mean, the first time at that time, we were not even parents for a year with three kiddos. And so there was stress, anxiety, things at work weren't exactly what I thought they would be. You know, like there was a lot of stuff feeding into my life and I was stressed. I was very anxious. Uh, I didn't know how to deal with it, which led to frustration and anger about certain things. And I remember very specifically very vividly, at the end of last year, my wife came up to me and she said, you are an angry person. And I don't want to be around that. That's a gut punch, right? That's also her job, is to tell me that. But that's hard to hear. And I remember that so well because it, it flipped a switch in my head and in my heart that I was an angry person, that these Virtues, these qualities that we're called to be, I was not because I was so caught up in my fear and my anger that I couldn't get past it. I couldn't love well to the point where my wife knew she had to say something. And so from that moment, there, I began this journey to try to put aside my anger and my fear, and it began with thanksgiving. 
It began with saying, God, I need you to take this away from me, and I am grateful that you say you will. I need you to help me believe that. And it just kind of went from there, where it would take time to be able to truly believe his promises. But in prayer and reading his word, I was able to say, thank you, God, that you've given me one, this word. You've given me your word that I can just be in this when I don't feel like it, when I don't feel like anything's happening. God, I can be, I can be thankful that you have saved me, that you love me, even if I don't feel it. God, thank you for my wife who has rebuked me and led me to a place where I can worship you. Thank you for these children who are beautiful and wonderful, even if I want to pull my hair out. Thank you, God, for all the blessings. If you begin a path of thanksgiving, you're going to discover that there is so much to be grateful for. Does that mean any of my frustrations have gone away? No. The same frustrations I had at the end of last year, I still have in many ways. But my outlook is different because I am grateful that God has done a miraculous work within me. And it's not necessarily that it was even a new work. It was an old work that I had forgotten about. And I had pushed aside because I allowed fear to control me. There are things within our lives that are going to keep us from being able to love well, to be able to be grateful for who God is and what he has done. Just go back to him. It's not going to feel like it at first. You're not going to be able to feel just this complete change from one moment to the next because you recognize this about yourself. This is a process. It's going to take time. But it begins with a step of thanksgiving. To thank God for something, anything. And there is plenty to be thankful for if we would just take a step back and actually believe it. And the primary thing that we need to be thankful for, the primary thing that we can go back to again and again and again is the person and work of Jesus Christ. That God saw there was a separation between humans and him because of the evil that we do. Because he is good and we do evil, there's a separation. And so God entered into human history as the man, Jesus Christ. He lived a life as a human and yet the way we're meant to be in relationship with God. And so there is no sin in Jesus. And because of that perfection, he died on the cross so that all of our evil can be paid for. So that we are not defined by our sin. He died then he rose again saying that death is not the end, saying that, that sin and evil, they have great power seemingly and yet they have nothing compared to the power of God. And he says that power is for you. And if you choose to accept it, you are able to walk into a marvelous relationship with God the Almighty through Jesus Christ who loves you, cares for you, has chosen you 
and will redeem and transform you. And then he ascended into heaven after that saying that you also will have eternity with me, that our relationship doesn't end with death, but our relationship is eternal. And that no matter what's happening within your life, no matter what fear may be controlling you at this moment, that his perfect love will wash through you and change you and transform you and give you a peace that you've never experienced. That is what we can hold on to. That story, that truth, that gospel is what we can believe and be grateful for. It begins with Jesus Christ because who he is is so great and so grand that we cannot help but be grateful for it. But how do we become full of this thanksgiving? How do we see that? How do we hear the gospel laid out for us and say, I truly am grateful for that? Because you might be sitting here saying, I'm still kind of not, yeah, I know it but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not filled with thanksgiving for Jesus and for what this is. And so I've got two ways for you. Number one, internalize scripture. I mean, Paul tells us right here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Internalize scripture, dwell. The word dwell here means that it is within you with the power to influence meaning that it is so ingrained in you that the Holy Word of God is so ingrained within you that it cannot help but influence everything about you. We need to be in Scripture to have it a part of our regular rhythm of life. When I, became, when I began that journey at the end of last year to, to try to stop just being angry all the time, it began with Scripture. Because honestly, I didn't really want to stop being angry. I felt very justified in a lot of my anger. And so I just went to Scripture and prayer and said, God, I need you to teach me something. I need you to change me. Go to Scripture and internalize it. And number two, engage with Scripture. Just like love is not supposed to be a distant love, love is supposed to be through activity and engagement, Scripture is not just something to read 20 minutes a day. Scripture is to be engaged with, to do things with it. Paul tells us that we are to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. We are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We are supposed to look at Scripture, read it, and worship God because of it, through it, through the things that it says. We are supposed to teach it to our children, teach it to each other, to our spouses, to our friends, talk about it throughout our day. And we're supposed to apply it to everything that we do because scripture has application to everything that we do because this is the truth that we can hold on to. So we must internalize and engage with scripture. And then Paul says in verse 17, 
And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our whole lives are to be completely wrought with thanksgiving and love. All aspects of it. And that begins by being in the word of God and going to him so you know who he is, you know what he has promised so that you can believe it, trust it is true, which will invoke thanksgiving within you so that you may love. And so to close out, I'm gonna put everything together again. So we can see the snowball effect that comes from the character of God and his activity and comes down to us. So number one, first, God loved you. First, God saves you. God enters into relationship with you and puts a new identity in you as his child. Number two, that if we adopt an attitude of thanksgiving for that activity, it will lead to a greater love for God. Number three, that greater love for God is going to lead to a greater love for his word. And if we see that we have a greater love for his word and for God, we're going to be led to a greater love for people, all people. And lastly, if we actually love, then we're going to be led to the ability to show that love through action activity, behavior. And it is going to be something that is throughout all of our lives. Not contained, not limited, but it's going to be the perfect love that God promises us and promises to share through us. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for who you are. Jesus, you have done something amazing. You entered into human history. Understanding the cost, choosing to do so anyway, purely because you love us. We are so grateful for that. We are led to worship you. We are led to want to know more about you. We are led to talking about you. We are led to interacting with others on your behalf because of what you have done. I ask, Father, do not let us forget. Do not let us assume that we understand everything about you or about your word, about what you have done, let us just assume that we need more of you. Holy Spirit, do something amazing within us. Even the best of us still have a long way to go. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you transform our hearts the perfect love 
that we see in 1 John, let that wash through us and cleanse us so that we can see the activity that you want from us as your children and see that come into a reality. Father, help all of us to love well. Help us to be grateful. Help us to be who you want us to be so that we may serve you and honor you and bring glory to you in everything that we do. And if there's anyone in here today that you have not committed your life to Christ, you have not followed him, this isn't really anything that you're familiar with, I say to you that you can know him today. The love that we're talking about, this perfect love that we so fail to be able to show well, is accessible Not only that, he promises that he will shower you in that love and you will be changed, transformed by it, that you will become a new creature, that the things of your past, the the sins, the evil that you've done, the bad things in your life, that he will redeem you of and forgive and that will no longer define you. All it takes is just a prayer. Reaching out to God and saying, I, I hear this and I want this. I want to know who you are. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know all the theology or every aspect of it. But you need to reach out and say, God, I need you. I may not know what that looks like, but I need you. And he will enter into you and do something miraculous. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done. Thank you for this group of people gathering together to serve and worship you as one. You are good and holy. In your holy name, amen and amen.